Welcome to See, Hear, Feel. I'm very excited today to be talking to Dr. Cameron Mirza. Dr. Cameron Mirza has many titles, including Associate Professor of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine and Medical Education, Vice Chair of Education in the Department of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine, and Program Director of the Hematopathology Fellowship, as well as being Associate Program Director, Pathology Residency Program at Loyola. He attended medical school in Pakistan and graduate school at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And he received a PhD in pharmacology and vascular biology at that institution. His APCP pathology residency training and fellowships in heme path and thoracic pathology were at the University of Chicago hospitals. He also completed a fellowship in medical education, research, innovation, teaching, and scholarship, abbreviated MERITS. He is internationally recognized and known for his educational efforts on social media, and he has received numerous awards. Hear more about Dr. Mirza on different podcasts, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And his Twitter handle is at K-M-I-R-Z-A. Can you tell me, as well as the listeners, a little bit more about who you are? And I love that with that introduction, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily say who I am, right? But that's so funny uh, that the question is, you know, who I am. And so... I guess it depends. I'd, I'd like to think of myself as a good human being. I, I'm a girl dad, like you and I were talking before the recording started. I have three daughters. I'm obviously a husband, a son, and a brother. Um, I think of myself as an educator. To be honest with you, I think if I consider the first professional attribute of myself, it would probably be education, probably the reason why I got into medicine and pathology specifically as well. I'd like to think I'm a mentor. I am really always looking out for, you know, the next generation of physicians and pathologists and kind of how their career trajectories are. I feel like the best way to give back or give thanks to my mentors, and there's so many of them, is to continue that legacy of mentorship. So educator, pathologist, uh, looking uh, really passionately about, you know, pathways to pathology and laboratory medicine and advocacy for our field of diagnostics. That's, I guess, how I would describe myself. That's wonderful. I love how you started with a good human being, because I've been thinking a lot and hearing and reading a lot of things these days about how a lot of times, so much of our identity, when someone asks who you are, it's like, oh, well, I'm a doctor or I'm, you know, your associate program director. But that really isn't, say that's taken away from you. Then are you no longer you? Being a good human being, you could hopefully always be that. So I appreciate your answer. One of the things I wanted to really cover with you is emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and the role that emotions play in the various things you do and how you teach. Could you tell me a little bit about how you use emotions and emotional intelligence? That's uh, such a beautiful question, honestly. So I guess let me start by saying that typically when you think of a pathologist or a diagnostician who isn't always facing the patient, one often thinks that there might not be an emotional quotient or like an EQ that we're using. And I would like to say that that's not the case. I know this patient. It is a young girl. And I know her without ever having seen her. And whenever her name pops up onto our cues, right, she's someone that I can connect with in the sense because I actually had the honor or kind of the sad honor to diagnose her with a leukemia several years ago. And her leukemia is back. And, and it actually made me pause several times during the day. Like I carried that, the weight of that information home with me. You know, as I was driving home, I was thinking about her. I don't know what she looks like. 
But I was thinking, and you know, and the first moment that I had when I saw my own daughter, who is that age, you know, and you know, and I hugged her, you know, good evening or whatever we were coming back home. I I thought of that patient. I would like to think that we keep that emotion of okay, this is a patient. We are di- we are changing this patient's life. It could be giving them a malignant diagnosis, or it could be telling them that they don't have a malignancy. Either way, the outcome is very life changing. That my decisions are guided by that, right? Whether it's about should I order another stain, you know, that will cost the patient money, or should I order another ancillary test that will cost the patient money? Um, you know, I think about it as if this was my biopsy, would I want that extra stain done? And if the answer is yes, then I feel better, you know, about making that happen. So I think that's wonderful that you really, part of the way you use emotional intelligence, it sounds like, is you're aware of your feelings. And then also at the scope, you're constantly remembering that there's a patient behind each and every diagnosis that you're making. That's correct. I, in fact, it's funny. I, I want to mention two people. One is my chair, Dr. Eva Wojcik, who's the chair of lab, pathology and laboratory medicine. And, and I, you know, I attribute this quote to her. She often says that, you know, healing begins with the diagnosis, you know, the right diagnosis. And I love that every, you know, behind every, every slide as a patient, she says that quite often as well. And the other person I'd like to, you know, kind of mention is Dr. Amit Kini, who's my head of uh, director of HemePath here very uh, good friend and amazing physician. And and he always talks about how our job as pathologists is to convert analog data that we're seeing visually into digital kind of yes-no data, right? And I think that the, you know, that whole process is suffused with emotional intelligence. It has to be, right? It has to be so that we can be good physicians. Uh, if we aren't thinking about it from the patient's perspective, then we're not really being physicians at all, right? We're just being kind of mechanical, robotic people. It comes back to not being crippled. Like, I think I don't want to be crippled under the weight of the emotion, right? Because it could be that I'm so close to this slide and that patient that I just can't process my thinking. Uh, and then we can choose to be as emotionally intelligent as we want to be about it, which is which is kind of freeing, you know? Yes, that is true. That is something also that's important to researchers in emotional intelligence. They talk about being aware and managing, being able to manage those feelings so that they aren't crippling. Given your background in education and having taught for so long, do you think there are techniques that are useful for, I mean, everyone's different, but certain techniques that many trainees do find useful to help manage emotions so that they aren't crippling? That's a really very cool question. You know, there isn't any formal education that I think we receive, at least not in many institutions that I know of, that teaches you how to cope with those emotions. And I think that the way we cope with them is just by experience, just by sharing with other co-residents and, you know, kind of, you know, through a shared learned, you know, learning experience. And so we're looking at aspects which, you know, which are, which are kind of creating an environment where our where our trainees can thrive as opposed to be crippled and so i think that if we keep fo- a focus on the diagnostic findings and what how that can benefit others i think that could, that will keep us focused be aware of that experience and then be able to share it i recently heard that heard a definition of burnout that i think relates to that because it was saying it wasn't necessarily talking about burnout in a healthcare setting, but it was burnout in general. And the definition was that burnout is when we have someone, we someone has an emotion that is not fully 
experienced in the sense that it's not recognized. You're not aware of it and you don't come through it all the way. Like the motion's kind of like a tunnel. You get stuck there and you never make it out into the light. I think that's exactly what you were saying, that we have experience X, whatever that is. And if we can share that with someone else, that is making your way out of that tunnel. I love that definition. Think about grief, for example. I know that's a crazy, difficult one to kind of talk about. And, and I don't want this to be about grief. But for example, like my, my father passed away last year. And I think that processing that grief, for example, for me was a tunnel. And sometimes I feel like I've come out of the tunnel. It's been over like half a year now. And sometimes in many ways, I feel like I'm still in the tunnel, right? But I think that I see it. But I'm at a point where through, you know, loved ones caring for me or me being able to share or or verbalize what I'm feeling, you know, which is also part of my EQ, right? Do you think that your EQ from work translates directly to home or vice versa? Do the techniques you use at home or work, you know, do you use them in each situation or is it different? Our experiences in life do guide Uh, the way we approach things. And I think that's the beauty of humanity, right? That everybody will be doing things differently. I do think that you have to tap into an EQ portion of yourself for both aspects of life, professional and personal. I think that lessons learned from one or the other can be applied and leveraged in in the opposite setting. I think that people who learn those lessons and who can apply them appropriately are probably more competent in either setting. That said, though, if you're having a difficult time at home or a difficult time at work, you may be in tunnels, right? And that might, you know, I might be short with my children because I've had a difficult day at work or vice versa, right? I might be short with my colleagues because I've had a difficult day at at home. So, So I think that I don't know if there's a right answer, but I do think that we're probably learning and and using those those lessons in the settings that we're in. I started learning about emotions at home when my daughter was in kindergarten. She came home and she was learning this at school. It was like, how are you feeling? And she was like telling me she needed to be able to say how she was feeling. So then I'm trying to help her. And I realized, I don't know how I'm feeling. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, I love how we learn things to our children. I had a similar experience with my middle one. And when she was in elementary school, they were asked to take a five-minute timeout. You know, just time, time out and not like in a punishment sense, but, but, but in the sense of take a timeout and kind of come to terms with what you're feeling, right? And I remember there was like a relatively stressful situation and I was talking to my middle child. I mean, it wasn't such a big deal either. And she just looked at me and she's like, Dad, I think I need, I just think I need a, a few minutes to reset. And I was like, reset what? And she's like, just reset my emotions. And I was so proud of her because I don't know if I take a few minutes to reset how I'm feeling. And I mean, I was like, you know, I, I didn't have that. You know, we, we weren't given that type of space, right? You know, we would have, like, people would have looked at me. I went to an all-boys school, like very stiff upper lip all-boys school in South Asia. And, you know, if I had said that, oh, you know what? Give me a few seconds to just reset myself. People, I would have been bullied for the rest of my life. And so if they are, if they're able to do it in a way where they could process things a little bit better, then we can hopefully the less less problems will arise in the world, right? Because the last thing you need are leaders that don't know how to process their emotions and then devastating effects happen. And so hopefully we're doing we're doing right for our children. Absolutely. Yeah, your daughter sounds awesome. She's an emotionally intelligent leader right there because the what I learned from talking to David Caruso, an expert in emotional intelligence, 
he said that that space is critical, you know, that space of taking the time to be self-aware, take the space before you react. Do you have any final thoughts? I hope that we can reassure people that for the most part, your pathologist, who is your physician behind the scenes, is also making decisions in an emotionally intelligent way. I love that. Thank you so much, Cameron, for being here. I really appreciate being able to talk to you. It was my pleasure. Thank you.